So, it's a powerful place to be in the presence of God, isn't it? And uh, that brings its challenges, so I'm just trying to get the worship round to where the teaching is. <laughs> one of my strengths, I'll get to this later, one of my strengths is uh, on the Strengths Finder, if you've ever done that exercise or that book. Uh, one of my strengths, I've only recently started to understand the power and effectiveness of that. And it was actually the, one of the, Thierry brought that word about connectedness. I have the strength of connectedness. It's not my fashion sense. Um, but uh, it's kind of seeing the links between things. Now we'll get a bit more about that later. So I love to see the links, don't you? I love to kind of work out what the Holy Spirit is doing, what, what God is saying, and how that all comes together. And, and so I'm going to throw quite a lot of things at you today, metaphorically, um, and see if you can see the links, because we've got quite a lot of visual aids for you. Um, but I want to pick up on something that Pete was talking about a little while ago. If we are as we are, how do you sign that? If you are as we are, oh, sorry. just pause my, Carol works that one out. We, we have interesting conversations. This is my wife, by the way, Carol. Come on. She'll say to me over lunch, why, did you, why didn't you tell me you were going to use that word or that passage? Because it was really hard to sign, but most of the time we get it right. But uh, we'll try and do that. So um, where were we? Connectedness. Yeah, just going to let the brain get in, into gear here. Yes. So Pete was talking about uh, pride and humility, wasn't he? And um, one of the, it was just a phrase that he used that kind of stayed with me, that often we look at things through comparative lenses, okay? We're always making comparisons. And we do this whether we, sometimes we do it uh, and we know we're doing it, and sometimes we do it when we don't know we're doing it. And when we don't know we're doing it, those are the really problem ones, aren't they? You don't know you're not doing something. That could be a proverb, couldn't it? Until suddenly God reveals to you that you're looking at something with comparative kind of spectacles on. That inadvertently, or maybe because of your makeup, or maybe because of something in your history, you are comparing yourself to somebody else. And the difficulty is that the closer you get in a church community, the more and more that happens, isn't it? I'm quite a good preacher. I'm as good as him or her these days. And uh, Yeah, come on. Just, come on, I'm slept in the gender awareness there. I hope you picked up. Um, I'm a great children's worker, but I'm not quite as good as him or her. Or, you know, I pray for miracles and sometimes they happen. But, you know, when that person prays, they always seem to happen. Why is that? And if we are to be a powerful people, which, which we are and which we're becoming more and more of, actually we le- need to learn to know what to do with this whole thing of comparing ourselves with one another. Or sometimes we compare ourselves with ourselves. Do you have that conversation in your head? You know, you weren't as good as you were last time. Yes. 
or you can surely you can do better than that. Well, it, as soon as you use that kind of phrase, you've got some sort of external standard that you're comparing yourselves to. Comparison is a funny old thing. So we're just going to give you something to compare just to see how silly that idea is. Trish, let's have the uh, first thing up. Can you see the sun? When you get to the biggest star in the universe, even our sun is like a pinprick. You can barely see it. So why do we keep making comparisons? God's made in a huge universe, isn't he? That we are just part of. And don't let that, that concept make you feel, well, I'm really small and insignificant. Because actually God says he loves you and he made the whole universe. So that makes you significant, doesn't it? But when it comes to comparisons, it's an interesting context for us to be in. Now, let's just see if this works. But we do love, you know, back down to earth with a bump. <laughs> uh, lots of bumps, actually. But uh, <clears throat> we do love making comparisons uh, with other people. And they're kind of silly, really, aren't they? Because we're all different. Uh, whether we're different sizes, different intellects, different appearances, we're all very different for one another. So it's a kind of, uh, you know, a funny old thing to do, to make comparisons with other people. See, God wants you to be the best you that you can be. You up for that? Can you say this with me then? I want to be the best me that I can be. I want to be the best me that I can be. And look at the person next to you and say, I want you to be the best you that you can be. I want you to be the best you that you can be. Now, actually, I'm going to help you to do that. Okay, I'm going to help you this morning to be the best you that you can be and the people around you, the best people that they can be. But if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel, if you haven't got your Bible here, we'll read it out together. But 1 Samuel chapter 18 your Bible or your electronic device, or your phone, or if you memorize this passage, there might be some people out there with it. So here we are with two people who could have compared themselves with one another. Here's David and Jonathan. This uh, conversation or this incident takes place just after David has slain Goliath. All right, that was 1 Samuel 17. This is 1 Samuel 18. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and didn't let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Well, that was clever. Got to change it on here now. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. His reign displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. 
What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. If we are to, we're going to keep coming back to that story, but if we are to not make comparisons with one another, there's something that we have to deal with right at the beginning, isn't there? And you can see it in Saul here, not David and Jonathan so much, but obviously, but in Saul. Saul is just jealous of David. He's slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. So you may get this character popping up in your life. Actually, I haven't got... Ah, sorry, I've jumped. Before we get to that character, you wonder who he is now, won't you? I wonder what... Yeah, just making sure you're, you're awake. Let's deal with two things that you've got already before we get to the character you need to get rid of. <laughs> Whew, quickly rescuing it there. You see the connected thing? See what I did there? The connected there, right, good. Did it on purpose, yeah, just to keep you awake. How many righteous people are here? Put your hand up if you're righteous. Totally righteous. <sighs> Lost a few hands there. Absolutely righteous. You can never be more righteous than you are right now at this moment. Not everybody's got their hand up. Put your hands down. Okay, we're just going to have a gospel service now to convert all you people who didn't put your hands up. Because <laughs> if you are born again... You are made perfectly righteous because you have the righteousness of Christ within you. That gives you a new nature, doesn't it? So actually, you can't be a better person than you are right now. Yes, David, but I've got lots of good works lined up for me to do. The Bible says that. That's absolutely true. For those on the download, I nearly stepped off the stage. You have to explain this to the internet. You know, you, they won't get any of these pictures, but they. For those on the download, I'm looking at uh, two words righteousness and royalty. You are perfectly righteous. You know that. Paul says you have a righteousness that is apart from the law. And the law just wants you to keep doing things in order to be righteous. So if you've got a righteousness apart from the law, you have a righteousness that you don't have to work for. It's by faith. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for you, all your sins have been forgiven and you are perfectly righteous in Christ Jesus right now here in Eastgate at whatever time it is. 10 to 12? About that. I'm I'm working on 10 to 12. (laughs) It's roughly right, isn't it? Oh, nearly 5 to. You are perfectly righteous. There are no, if you're born again, there are no sinners in this room. Come on. Just have a look. There are no sinners in this room. Unless you're not born again. In which case, this is so attractive, folks. Why don't you just get born again right now? Just repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus. He died for you. And you can invite him into your life by his Holy Spirit. And you can begin a new life right now, right right here. And you will be perfectly righteous in his sight. You see, you may sin in the future, but that doesn't make you a sinner. You live out of the new creation. You are perfectly righteous in his sight. Not only are you righteous, but you're also royalty, aren't you? You see, Jonathan and David, they were righteous in Christ's sight. They, even before Christ, 
uh, came, Abraham was made righteous by his faith. And we've seen people like Jonathan and David. We've seen already stories, if you want to check them out in 1 Samuel, stories of their faith. David took on Goliath by faith. Jonathan took on the Philistine encampment by faith. Remember that story with his armor bearer, if you want to go back and check it in those earlier chapters. These, this is why I believe David and Jonathan became one in spirit, because they were people of the spirit. They were people of faith. They had the Holy Spirit on them and working through them. And they recognized within each other, this was their bond of friendship. They were people of faith. And if we are to be together as a church, we need to be people of the spirit, don't we? We need to be courageous people. We need to be pioneering people, as Kate reminded us this morning. And we also need to be royalty. It's all coming together, isn't it? The worship and the sermon. I mean, I had these words up. I didn't make them up on my computer. I wouldn't know how to do that in such a short space of time. God is speaking to you this morning about going through a gateway of freedom and having a crown, a crown actually of righteousness. So those are the two concepts coming together. Do we get righteousness on top of the royalty? Yeah, the crown of righteousness. You are the, we are the royal family. I'm just bowing and scraping here. <laughs> you are royal. And we're still working out what that really means, aren't we, in our relationships with one another. King Stephen, Queen Marion, King Rob, Queen Victoria. That sounds like... <laughs> oh, we're flowing now. I hadn't made that up before. But, you know, sometimes in order to get there, we do come across, and here he is. Oh, sorry. I'll click him on mine, and I'll click him on yours. We come across this guy. Now, he may not come to you like this, but this is how he came to me in a sozo session, would you believe? So I'm going over a bridge. Some of you have heard this story before, but I'm going over a bridge in the sozo, in my spirit, in my mind. And actually, I notice on the bridge there are some dogs, but the dogs are kind of muscled, muzzled, rather, muzzled. They were dogs, not muscled. Uh, they were muzzled. And I thought that was good because, you know, the as Chris Vallotton says, the dogs of doom lie at your, the doorway of destiny, you know, and somehow in my sozo, they represented the things that God had taken care of and weren't troubling me anymore. But as I get over the bridge, I'm, I'm faced with the minotaur, the half man, half bull, just appears in my, in my imagination, my sanctified imagination. And written across his chest is the word jealousy. And I'm thinking, oh, but I'm not jealous of anybody. Oh, maybe I am. <laughs> oh, yes, I am. I often look at people sometimes, and inadvertently perhaps, without, you know, without malice, to think, well, if only I had their gift, or if only I had their anointing, if only I could do what they did. And it kind of dwells up in a kind of nasty sort of way inside us, isn't it? And in the Sozo, I take, uh, I think it was uh, um, Donna and Christine kind of leading the Sozo session on that occasion. I take, they say, what are you going to do with it? I take out my sword. And I slice the head off the minotaur. That would be too gory to show in um, a PowerPoint presentation of this nature with children amongst us. And, uh, but anyway, let's, um, that's no more scary than the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, by the way. So if you've watched that. In fact, the guy on there, he's more scary than my, my minotaur. Had a little bit of trouble getting the least scary one. He's the least scary one. Is that right? So deal with jealousy. 
What is jealousy after all? It's loving something that's not yours. And somebody else's anointing is their anointing. It's not yours. You have an anointing and you need to get it from God. And he has more anointing than you could ever think or imagine. You just need to get your anointing, not somebody else's. You know, I I go a little bit green with envy sometimes when people talk about the thousands and the millions that they're going to liberate in Christ. And I believe some people will do that. That may never happen to me. That's okay. That's okay. Because your anointing is your anointing. And God has an anointing and a calling and a destiny over your life to, for you to be the best you that you could possibly be. That's amazing, isn't it? But you're going to be rubbing shoulders with some other fairly incredible people. Fairly incredible. Very incredible people. And so sometimes you're going to be tempted with this kind of, if you like, the demon of, of jealousy, if you want to call him a demon. Let's, uh, let's quickly move on. Oh. Jumped one. Ah, that's better, isn't it? Just get rid of that sign of jealousy. Let the love flow. How did David and Jonathan cope with what could have been a very competitive situation, couldn't it? So Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. He's going to succeed, you know, uh, Saul. Although actually, you know, anointing came in in those times. You know, from the Spirit of God, Samuel laid his hands or anointed Saul and he became king. In a sense, there's no guarantee, but you would have been expected that Jonathan would have succeeded his father. And yet he's the first to hand over his kind of royal robes to David. He sees on David an anointing to be king. And of course, just prior to this story, David has been anointed to be king. Jonathan is one in spirit with him. He loves him like himself. You see, when you love other people, love does conquer all, doesn't it? Love can conquer the jealousy in our hearts. Our propensity to compare ourselves with other people. Because actually, why compare yourself with uh, with somebody else when actually God loves you and he can never love you more than he loves you right now? So I am David, loved by God. If I fall off this stage, which I nearly did, and break my neck and go to heaven, I'm still loved by God. I'm still in his love. Uh, I won't demonstrate that to you now. You won't get the second half of the talk. So, love is the answer, isn't it? Here's David. I do apologize for, this is your typical Bible picture. When you Google Bible stories, you always get these white Caucasian people pop it up. And uh, they probably weren't white Caucasian. They were very brown and Middle Eastern. But this is, this is what Jonathan does. Actually, I was trying to work out which is Jonathan, which is David. I think Jonathan's on the right, yeah and, yeah, and David's on the left. Kind of, kind of feel somehow, anyway, you work it out. So he, as we read in that story, he passes over this robe, his sword, and his tunic, and I think his sandals, was that in that passage as well? I can't remember. But anyway, he hands over all the kind of accoutrements of royalty, to David. That is such a humble kind of situation to be in, isn't it? What is Jonathan doing here? He's recognizing the anointing that is on David. 
David is anointed to be king. He, re- he recognizes that anointing. You know, the way to overcome jealousy is just to recognize the anointing on other people's lives. Just recognize what they're doing. Just bless them for what they're doing. Just celebrate the anointing that other people have got. So look at the person next to you again. They are so anointed, aren't they? They're so anointed, they don't realize how anointed they are. You are so anointed. Okay. I've got adverts going around my mind. So my title for this morning is Don't Go Compare. And then I had that so anointed. It's, you're so money supermarket. Okay. Which, of course, is another comparison website. So. So the title this morning is Don't Go Compare, Go Compare. Yeah, you knew there'd be a song in there somewhere already. You see, oh, Jonathan was an amazing guy. Even before we get to the story of David and Goliath, you get this amazing story where Jonathan just says to his armor bearer, let's go up, you know, and if they shout out a certain line, uh, you know, that we'll know God's here. And perhaps, perhaps... God will deliver us. God will give us victory. He's willing to give God a perhaps in faith and risk his own life in order to defeat the Philistines. He's an amazing guy, isn't he? In one sense, he knows his anointing. You see, you're far less likely to be jealous of somebody when you know what your anointing is. I mean, we want to celebrate what other people's anointings are, but knowing your own anointing is really important. So here's a prayer for you to pray. I say that because when I first came across the prayer of Jabez, we were strongly, strongly encouraged to pray this for other people. And that is a wholly legitimate thing to do. But actually, Jabez prays this prayer for who? Himself. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. If you want the reference for that, that is uh, somewhere in the Old Testament. (laughs) I thought it was in my notes, but it's 1 Chronicles 4. Hey, he's coming back somewhere. That narrows it down, isn't it? 1 Chronicles 4. Oh, that you would bless me. This is a prayer for himself, isn't it? I couldn't possibly do that. I've been so trained to pray for other people. And actually, the person who first introduced us to this actually got it. So why don't you pray this for other people? And I prayed it for countless people. And I'm praying it for our church and I'm praying it for you. But it is actually a prayer you can pray for yourself. That is how it was originally given. We know nothing, well, virtually, there's only a couple of verses introduction to Jabez. We know nothing else about him apart from this prayer, isn't it? Can we say that? Because you have an amazing anointing on you, don't you? Well, let's make it more amazing. You ready in the next few seconds? After me. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. Didn't count all the me's and my's and I's, but there's a lot of them in there, isn't it? Totally and utterly selfish prayer. Shock horror. Can you be so? Well, 
It's never selfishness when you're asking God for what he wants to give you. In fact, if you don't ask him for what he wants to give you, there's another word for that. It's pride. True humility is asking God for what he wants to give you. That's true humility. False humility is saying, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. God doesn't want me as anointed as other people. I mean, I'll, I'll be a problem in the church. I'll be a, certainly be a problem in my home group. And the elders will be knocking on my door. You're so anointed. You're putting us in the shade. That would be great, wouldn't it? You know, all our church members putting us in the shade. I love that. That would be great. <laughs> Some of you will be more famous than me. <gasps> Shock horror. Well, I certainly hope you will be. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bit of false humility out. I'm going to be famous. <laughs> How can I not be famous if I pray prayers like that? Now, we're not talking about worldly fame, do you know what I mean? Which we, we tend to kind of, you know, unfortunately the world has got hold of celebrity and fame and kind of made it a bit of a dirty word, isn't it? Jabez is famous. I've just made him famous, or a little bit more famous, by bringing him again to your attention. There's a woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil, and she's incredibly famous. And Jesus said, everybody in every generation, forever now, will talk about her. And we're not even quite sure what her name is. Well, she's probably Mary, but she might not be, depending on your view of that passage. <laughs> but we won't go there. So, you're amazing on you. Let's, let's give you, um, so how do you get more amazing? Well, find out what your strengths are. Okay, find out what your strengths are. Here's one of mine. This is the connectedness. Humility is the essence of connect. I like that. Look at that. If connectedness is one of my strengths, humility is the essence of connectedness. I'm so humble. You have to know who you are and who, get this. You have to know who you are and who you aren't. I have a piece of wisdom. I have a piece of the wisdom. I don't have much of it, but what I do have is real. Actually, this is written by a secular person. Secular person takes into no account that we have wisdom from God as much as we want. But it's not kind of making that point at this moment. This isn't grandiosity. This is real humility. You have confidence in your gifts, real confidence. But you know that you don't have all the answers. You start to feel connected to others because you know they have wisdom that you don't. You can't feel connected if you think they have Everything. You see, it's good to know how great you are and then how great other people are and how you fit in with them. So when church life at Eastgate, you know, when we're over the honeymoon period, I don't know where that is, but it might be about now. <laughs> and you're looking around thinking, what have I got myself into? There's some extraordinary people around here. How will I ever fit in? How will I ever fulfill my destiny? Because there's so many other people in front of me. I remember feeling that when we had three full-time people in a church I used to belong to. And I thought I was the fourth, but I thought they'll never get around to me. They'll have to save up for another 10 years, another 10 years of time, tithes, and then they'll be able to afford me. <laughs> and I can remember an apostolic guy coming to me and saying, we'll need hundreds of people like you. Really? Are there hundreds of people like me? We all need hundreds of people like you. Why? 
Because God has a big vision. We are taking his kingdom all over the world. The laborers are, if the laborers are actually few at the moment, you are needed. Jesus said that. So it must be true. If the laborers are few, you are definitely needed. You have to be the biggest person that you could possibly be in order to fulfill what God has for you and his plans for you. Amen? So what's our job as elders? To rule and reign in the church and put everybody else down. That's why we're at the top of the triangle. Have you noticed that? Then comes the leadership team. They're kind of in training. They're kind of, you know, not quite as humble as we are. But, uh, you know, they're getting there. Not quite as gifted as we are or anointed as we are. But they're kind of working on it. And then there's the rest. That's you. Okay. Come on. You have thought it, haven't you? Is that the kind of church you want to belong to? I wouldn't belong to this church for five minutes. Okay, I'm going. (laughs) That's what we call the hierarchical model, isn't it? And it's probably there in your thinking right now, in some way or other. But folks, we are trying to do this. Oh, we're all going to become like Chris Valentin. Oh, oh, oh. What happened to my other triangle? Oh, there we are. Did I click over it? Right. Elders at the bottom, just for people on the download in case they don't get this. Leadership team, if it's anywhere, is just above. And then I was going to write church above that. And I thought, well, that would be sound rather obvious, wouldn't it? And, folks, I'm not trying to separate the elders of the leadership from the church. You understand what I'm, I'm trying to say here. Actually, it's our job to make you successful. That's what our job is. But we have got a job on to do that because actually in most people's thinking, and if I can be really clever, that's probably where we are. But we want to be like that. Successful people. Our job is to make you successful. I love the story when uh, we were sitting in a, a, a restaurant in in Redding, California, and uh, there was Danny Silk was sitting here with his wife, and Pete and Kim were sort of sitting over here. And then we'd had a conversation. I was, I was just listening to them talk, and Danny kind of turned to me, and he said, well, so, Dave, what do you do in the church? And I thought, here's, here's the moment for a smart comment. I mean, we're relaxing. We've had a glass of wine. You're not being wholly serious, although we are. And he says, so, David, what's your job in a church? I said, Danny. My job is to make Pete famous. And he kind of put his hand up like that and we high-fived in the air. Now, it's your job to make Pete famous as well. And it's your job to make me famous and it's my job to make you famous. And it's Pete's job to make you famous. It's your job to to make the person sitting next to you and the person behind you and the left and right of you famous. Why? Because you're going to pray Jabez's prayer for yourself so that you're more and more effective and blessed and enlarging. And you're going to pray for other people. In fact, you've probably already been praying for other people. So give yourself a break and pray it for yourself a bit more. You see, your destiny is tied up with other people and their destiny is tied up with yours, isn't it? 
We are the body of Christ and we are one in spirit and we, we are learning to love one another just as Jonathan and David loved one another and recognize different anointings on one another. We had a lovely wedding last week, but actually where the wedding took place was near one of the American cemeteries in Normandy. And I said to Carol, we're not going to go to one of those again because it's, it's, it's fantastic in one sense to go, but it's all, always kind of quite challenging. And we just had a lovely wedding and, you know, we just want to get on the ferry and come home. And, and then I found that we were kind of just driving literally through the village, St. James or St. James, and there was the American cemetery and I just felt compelled to go in. Uh, it's always very moving, isn't it, to see the, uh, you know, the military cemeteries in northern France. If you've never been to, I do recommend you go there. And um, I never know quite how to respond. I've read quite a lot about the war. My father was in uh, the, the Royal Air Force and, and so on. And probably many of you have been touched in your families by, by that. And I thought, I'll just wander. Carol was, had a camera out. There's a surprise. And... <laughs> taking photographs, and I thought, I'll just wander around, you know, and I, I began to stop at each cross. And, of course, you've, you've got the person's name, you've got their squadron or their division or, you know, whoever they, they fought with. And probably most of these men lost their lives around this area in the days that followed D-Day. Uh, some 4,000 people were just buried in this, this one cemetery. And it was kind of special in a way, even just being American and recognizing people from other countries coming to liberate, you know, Europe. And I just started to read some of the names. And I began to call out their names out loud. And I thought, why am I doing this? And I'd say a name like Lester. And I'd say, thank you, God, for Lester. John, thank you, God, for John. I found myself crying. And I don't cry very easily. And I just thought, this is the only response I can make in this situation, is it just to say, thank you, thank you, because... It's 4,000 people buried here, but each one of them is an individual. And each one of them made the ultimate sacrifice so that I could live in the kind of freedom that I live now. But I wonder if you've ever thought this. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for you, didn't he? So that you could live in the kind of freedom that you're enjoying now. Jesus died for you to set you free from sin and condemnation, and even death itself by raising himself, being raised from the dead. And the question we all have to ask ourselves, isn't it? What are you doing with the freedom that Jesus has won for you? And one of the ways we can respond to that is by believing both that God wants us to be successful, because that's what the cross is about. And believing that other people can be incredibly successful as well. And whenever you see an anointing on somebody, and even if they haven't got an anointing or don't appear to have an anointing on them, pray for God's anointing to be on them. You ready for this? Why don't you put your hand on the shoulder next to you? That is the person next to you who has a shoulder. We're kind of all out of time, but let's just pray because our prayers are powerful and effective. You are a righteous man or woman, aren't you? To say with me, yes, just agree. It's in the Bible. And the prayers of a righteous man and woman are powerful and effective. So we're going to take that verse by faith 
And we're just going to pray for the person next to us that they will be incredibly successful. Are you ready? Father, we pray for success, success, success. We pray for anointing and power, your hand to be on them. We pray for every sickness to be healed in Jesus' name. And we pray for success at work. We pray for success in the family. We pray for success in the church. We pray for success in the kingdom. We pray for success wherever we go, wherever we put our feet. Jesus, we pray for success.